Listen, like, I'm not saying it's you, but every time you stand up, there seems to be another fucking brown stain on the couch. <laughs> edition of Films on Trial. This week, the Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. I'm Austin. I'm Steve. Well done. <laughs> and just like the Grand Budapest Hotel, we are full of enormous wealth and outrageous events. I wish. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're quite outrageous. We've got but... a tenner between us. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, if you've never heard this show before, then hold on to your lobby boys because you're about to get detained. <laughs> Should have said, hold on to your cats because we're about to throw you through a window. Essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans to keep you entertained including a caption contest, a quiz, impressions, xylophone playing, sound effects, and a lot of banter. So do stay tuned. Now, as I mentioned before, this week's film on trial is The Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> that wasn't the sound effect I thought you were going to pick, but I'm glad you did. Wasn't that the same sound effect you used for American Pie at the end? <laughs> What's that cat up to? He landed on a pie. <laughs> okay, uh, so is it Grand Budapest or is it Little Hungry? Hopefully we're going to find out. <laughs> Just to say, this will be a very spoiler episode, so if you haven't seen it yet, you can either listen to this episode after you've watched it it's on netflix at the moment or you can just trust our judgments alternatively you can fast forward to our quiz this week brought to us by the lovely alex which we're going to highlight in the comments section below now before we go on our last film on trial was the incredible fist pumping erection inducing hobbs and shaw <laughs> austin i mean everybody's shaking their heads in agreement especially especially joel uh, Austin, you judged that that should it be did. placed on the it hit did. list. You've since gone away and watched it. What do you reckon? Uh, you know what? It's a close one, but if you're in the right frame of mind, that that's going on the hit list. You know, I'd say seven out of ten times of of the way, of, of the times I watch it. It's going <laughs> <laughs> to go. Should be a film review. It's two and a half hours long as well as the fucking hour. Weren't were those three times though? Were they early on? Were they later on? I mean, anyway, so okay, so yeah, it's it's, a, it's all right, sort of like the right decision anyway. Well, thank you very much for that, yeah. Austin. Now, before we go on to the bulk of the show, I think it's time for Alex's film feels. Ooh la la! Indeed. <laughs> This one, an easy one. What's your favourite film that's set in a hotel? Easier than you think when you start thinking about it. I'm going to go right... (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go right out of the bat here and say The Shining, because that's one that came to my mind. And it's on the wall. And it's on the wall. I'm looking right at it. But it's, you know, the Hotel hotel Overlook. It's, you know, iconic. Very good film. Good setting. Uh, that's my one well done so thank yeah, you Alex is uh, referencing before when he was like oh this is the film feels but I can't think of any films really set in the hotel and there's uh, just behind them two posters <laughs> of two films <laughs> only two posters in the room but they're both set in hotels exactly there's more than you think <laughs> uh, anybody so. want to pick the other poster <laughs> <laughs> someone's I, got I've it. never seen the other poster what well, Sorry. I don't okay. think I've seen either of them actually really yeah, yeah. The, the other poster is Psycho by the way for anyone listening yeah yeah <laughs> There's a, there's a very long discussion about whether a motel is a hotel, which I, I don't think we should bring up on the podcast. Say, so my favourite one would probably be have, have to be the classic 
Dunstan checks in. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Which we mentioned last week. Uh, like, if somebody said it was cruel to have a, a, a chimpanzee or, you know, an orangutan working in a hotel, I think that it highlighted the fact that orangutans shouldn't be working in hotels. Mm-hmm. And without Dunstan checks in, there could be a surge of orangutans working in hotels to this very day. And it's also great. <laughs> it's the you could best. have just done that. To it's be the best comedy film set in a hotel starring an orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you on that one. Um, so, I, other than the obvious, me going for Grand Budapest, I reckon um, what's a surprisingly good watch: uh, the Hotel Transylvania franchise. Genuinely funny. Yeah, they're actually really funny. Right. I, I had to Google uh, film set in hotels, but there's a few classics that jump out straight away. Um, Daffy, so Ducks, Daffy Duck's Quackbusters. <laughs> hey, that was great. Daffy Duck slept here. <laughs> another good one. And, you know, the, there's there's almost too many, but Dunstan checks in is there, so it's a legitimate pick. <laughs> of course it is. He was wearing a bellhop uniform and everything, man. It's also to your left on the uh, Gav's DVD shelf. <laughs> yeah. well, a, a quick scroll over the um, Wikipedia page. Uh, apparently... Um, the the actress in it got the award for the shittest actress for that film. For what award's this? It's uh, what's the it called? The, the Golden Raspberry, 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 Raspberry Award. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. How did the monkey do? Did he get the Oscar? <laughs> <laughs> the monkey was off afterwards, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, I'd uh, I'd go for the witches. The witches. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Very good. Nice. Yeah. First thing came to my head was I was thinking Ocean's Eleven, but then I thought that's kind of multi. That's three hotels. Yes. But that's kind of set. Still works. Ocean's, still yeah, yeah, but it's still kind of. I don't know. I, really, I did really like uh, Barton Fink. Oh yeah, I really like Barton Fink. Basically, a man screenwriting in a hotel for the entire day. The very film, good ones. Yeah. 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 yeah, good. And obviously Home Alone too. I mean yes. Tim Curry, <laughs> bellhop uniform yeah. in a hotel. I mean, you know, is Be- it better than an orangutan? If there's any way you could have both, that's a hotel I would gladly spend my enormous wealth in. You know, you just have the ultimate concierge. Off. You know, you got Tim Curry from Home Alone, Hector Elizondo from uh, Pretty Woman, Dunstan. <laughs> like, can one of you write this? Because yeah, it sounds brilliant. You um, heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> okay, so thank you very, very much for that, Alex. Take a hike. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, oh. I thought it did really well. No, what? I thought... <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that film, Phil. He did a really good one. He did a good job this week, Thanks, Gav. Thanks, guys. Let's <laughs> move on without <laughs> Gav this episode. Hey, hey, hey. Where's hey, his sound no effect? Boo! 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 Now, I, I was trying to fit it in with, um, you know, the Grand Budapest Hotel, because there's a lot of hiking. It's up a mountain. You know, that, that's what my, my idea was there. Well, it yeah, came out offensive. <laughs> okay, right. So, uh, as I said before, we'll move on to the bulk of the show. It is the Grand Budapest Hotel. I can't be asked playing is all that, of it. Is the Eagles? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I, I still recognise it. It's nice. about 20 minutes long. <laughs> It'll be the longest xylophone interlude we've ever had on the show. Um, so, uh, on to the bulk of the show, as I said before. Uh, this is, it hasn't been picked out of the heart of random. It is our good friend and producer, Austin's personal choice. He has gone with Grand Budapest Hotel, so that means he is going to be defending it and he's going to be trying to get it placed on the hit list. Now, Ozzy is just like Willem Dafoe's Joppling. He doesn't say much, he dresses head to toe in black, and he's reckless with other people's cats. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that time when I threw my mobile at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I was trying to save its life. It was going to eat the chocolate muffin. Oh, yeah, right. So, yeah, my, my cat was going to eat a chocolate mus- muffin. So Austin thought, I know, I'll scare it away by throwing, like, my laptop at it. It was a phone. It was, a, it was an iPhone. But it wasn't near it either. It was, it was, it was at the cat. Like, Yuri's life flashed before his eyes. Look, he's got eight more. <laughs> His ninth life was all about that muffin as well. <laughs> I, I, I will say this, and I, I rip Austin a lot for his uh, for his fashion sense, um, because it's an easy target, to be honest. Uh, but what I don't think he gets enough credit on, because this is an audio podcast, is that he does make an incredible amount of effort each week to coincide his outfits with the film that we're putting on trial. So today, he is dressed in... <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's a three-piece uh, burgundy suit with a bow tie on, very reminiscent to Ray uh, Fiennes and the rest of of the actors who work in the Grand Budapest Hotel. All he's missing is a little hat, like a bellhop. But I just want to say, well done, mate, well done. Yes, thank you very much. Um, but, you know, <laughs> if you can just try and, you know, be less of a shit, then... <laughs> uh, so as... Uh, I, all, right, all of the rest of the other film, what am I trying to say? All of the other roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So joining Austin in defense will be me. I'm a bit like Adrian Brody's Dimitri, tall, thin, and irrationally angry most of the time. <laughs> and acting as defense, oh, sorry, as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be Alex and Dave. Now, Dave is just like Jeff Goldblum's deputy Kovacs, always surrounded by work. And although he hasn't technically done anything wrong, he's still pretty unlikable. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell <laughs> Jeff Goldblum every day. <laughs> and Alex is just like Harvey Keitel's Ludwig. He's bald. <laughs> nice. 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 If, if you tuned into last week's episode, you'll have, you'll have seen something similar. I was, I was, I, now as he's growing his hair back, I'm just getting it left, right, and centre. I was also going to say, and we're surprised when stop. he put... No, stop. Stop doing this. No, no, stop doing the rest. I want to hear the rest. I get started. I've started to. I've got to finish. And we're, and we're surprised when he puts in a decent routine these days after so, so many half-assed phone-in performances. <laughs> <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, we'll be making the best case for our roles. These may or may not be our real opinions, though, so stay tuned to the end of the episode to hear our genuine thoughts. Which means this week, Joel has the most important role as he'll be playing the judge. Now, Joel is just like Edward Norton. Really good at what he does, but you can't help but think he's a bit of a tit. <laughs> I'll tell you that. <laughs> now, Joel must decide which list the film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. Now, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the wheel of impressions. So here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters of the film. This week, it has landed on Austin. So, it's not been me in ages, either. Oh, there we go. It's your, your <laughs> film, your turn. <laughs> so how would we like Austin to what read about the synopsis? Ralph Fiennes as uh, Voldemort. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love the careful. Yeah. I, like, I like Ralph Fiennes. I'd say either Ralph Fiennes or Goldblum. I'd say, you know, one of those... But I don't mind mm. which. I like the vault. Like yeah, can, yeah, can we have can we have Ray Fiennes in this film turning into Voldemort? <laughs> yeah, halfway through. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember how Voldemort sounds. I'll try that. I mean, the, the, 
The, advent- the Adventures of Gustav H., a legendary concierge at a famous hotel from the fictional Republic of Zabrauka, between the First and Second World Wars and Zero Mustafa, the lobby boy who becomes his most trusted friend. Well done, Austin. Well done. No okay, so without further hesitation, Joel, would you like to kick off proceedings, please? All right, so we'll just go straight down the middle, as always, and just start off with a quick kind of plot synopsis. So I'll, I'll give this over to Austin as he's best rehearsed. Yeah, so um, so you are initially introduced to a narrator. So you think, oh, what's going on with the film here? Because it's a guy in his study writing uh, writing a story, and then it's him sort of reminiscing. And it's kind of got that little bit of a comedic uh, section where... It's like when we talked about it in the previous film, we got this opening scene. So it's something that's not fully related to the film, but it's just setting you up to say, look, this is uh, my memory of this set of events. It was a story told to me. And then um, essentially it's uh, set in the 1930s, sort of between the wars, um, of this fantastic hotel. And you'll have seen hotels that look just like this, which were absolutely uh, fantastic at the time, beautiful. Um, and then it's sort of the... The, the downfall of the hotel, you know, he, he goes to stay in this hotel and it's all run, uh, run down. Um, but yes, yeah, so it's the story of the concierge and his uh, and his lobby boy uh, Zero, and they go on this fantastic journey. It's sort of um, it, there's little nods to uh, realism, so that this thing that he's part of is this uh, the crossed keys. So it's like concierges, um, it's like the way hotels get to see all of these. Uh, Little nods to that where you get to see all of the uh, secrets and darker secrets. It's of, just uh, like of it, the Continental in John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah. Hey, that's uh, another so one. It's my type of photo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, John Wick. Um, but so yeah, so then they um, one of his guests, the first guest you get to be told about, um, she dies. Um, she's got a relationship with uh, with uh, Ray Fiennes, um, and she. Bequeaths, is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. If you, um, so she, in her will, she leaves this um, painting and her family are all absolute shits who want the painting. And, um, and also it's at the time of the war, so you've got that playing into it as well. So they're trying to get this painting back because it's priceless. Um, and then it's a whole uh, crazy scene through there is that he ends up locked up. There's a, there's a, a breakout scene from the jail. There's a... The classic sort of Wes Anderson uh, relationship type uh, scenes going on, and then there's um, some great chase scenes up up the mountain, through a monastery, down the mountain. Um, a cat gets thrown out of a window. Somebody falls <laughs> off a cliff, <laughs> and then you you end up sort of back where you started. Um, <clears throat> so. <laughs> Gav just really threw me like all Austin's doing is explaining the plot and Gav puts his hand up <laughs> I've always, well, you're just... talking shit Austin I was going to ask if I could join the prosecution side <laughs> but no what I was going to say is, is um, just, just a slight bit is that Adrian Brody who plays Tilda Swinton yeah, she, she's the sort of the lady that Austin was talking about who dies very wealthy she bequeaths Ray finds this painting. Agent Brody plays Dimitri, her son. He's very pissed off at this, so he frames Ray finds for her murder 
uh, and then that's why he ends up in prison. Oh, yeah. That's oh, why yeah. there's the Missed prison. Missed out some key <laughs> plot points there, sorry. <laughs> and then the chase scenes that Austin's talking about is Dimitri has hired um, this character called Joplin, who's played by Willem Dafoe, who's this sort of term- Terminator-like figure who's trying to hunt down Ray Fiennes. So that's why there's lots of chasing as well. So he's trying to clear his name while he's on the run. Okay, so throwing this out to everybody, obviously when you watch a Wes Anderson film, he's got a very uh, distinct style. You can almost kind of tell that it's him without being told. So this film, how does it kind of compare to the other Wes Anderson films? Is it uh, the same type of quirky style? Is it anything new? Um, and uh, like, is the, does the plot kind of all fit together nicely? Uh, no, I, I, there's nothing new in his style. I mean, if you like Wes Anderson's style, then I think you would like the Grand Budapest Hotel. But I've watched, I'd watched a lot of films leading up to this, and it was kind of the first time where I was like, oh, Wes Anderson doing this thing again, you know, like again. So he's got the certain shots where you're sort of tracking along, and you've got the camera sort of switching to the side, and it's you know it's well done and it's his it's his signature thing. But it was the first time when you just go, yeah, okay, you, you're doing it again. I see it's it's the same sort of thing, and, and and it felt a little bit tired to be honest. So I, I you know the plot starts off quite well, I think, but like to be honest, this is my thing kind of with all of Wes Anderson films. It has a really good first third. And then with his sort of his the way he films things, the way he gets characters interacting, it is kind of like a there's an alternative, there's kind of a different way of doing things, but it doesn't actually work with plot. So by about the second third and the the, the, the last third, you're just a little bit bored, and it's not really following because it's so unconventional. It doesn't actually sustain it for the whole whole film, I would say. So yeah, it, it is very much Wes Anderson. If you like it, you you like it. But for me, I, I was bored at this point. I think. So what I would say there is almost exactly the same as what Alex said, but in a lighter tone. But no, genuinely, it's, uh, you mean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But no, genuinely, it's um, it, it is very much Wes Anderson. You, the second it starts, you'll know it's a Wes Anderson film. It's everything that's been built up. So if you've been watching them all in cl- quick succession, then yeah, you're going to be maybe a little bit tired because you'll recognise all of the different. Uh, sort of techniques so here's a quick question um do you think that it appeals to a non-wes anderson fan or do you think it's this, this specifically one, this, one, this, this yeah. film or do you think only wes anderson fans can enjoy it as a definite non-wes anderson fan i can tell you that i enjoyed it very much and i i think what in, what i enjoyed about it more is that because when it started as as said it is very wes anderson so when it came on i was like oh it's pretty quirky but you can't deny that it is beautiful the cinematography like the way he set the film up the aesthetic of the hotel itself it is incredible you know just to watch it's like a like i imagine like a pop-up like picture book it's it's just incredible spectacle to be honest but what i think sets this apart from previous wes anderson films for me is that the characters in this feel for once like fleshed out fully formed well-written characters rather in previous films i've found you know just personally speaking that some of the characters are just a collection of quirks and mannerisms and the way they interact is just really like kind of quirky and short and unrealistic whereas in this some of the characters that were introduced to you still have that element there's a few of them where you're just like oh yeah you're just a sort of standard wes anderson character but the 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 bulk of the main characters are really well written i think yeah, that's that's totally true. Like Ray Fiennes, he's got just impeccable timing in this. So he's so, you know who that guy is straight away. And you've seen concierges like that who take their job so seriously and um, and, the, and just love what they do. And I think it's, he captures it really, really well. You, at no point in the film are you not painfully aware that you're watching a Wes Anderson film. 
And and a good director should make you sort of get into the story. You shouldn't be thinking like, oh, where's Anderson? Oh, look at that shot. Look at that shot. And and you can appreciate it, but you're not actually immersed in the film. You're just going, well, that's pretty. That's sumptuous. That's, you know, the the set design, some of the shots are beautiful. But you're very, you're watching it almost from like the, the fourth wall is broken in this film, I think. Yeah, I can't deny that it's got Wes Anderson's signature style. It's whether you you enjoy that or not. It depends on whether you're going to enjoy this film. Actually, it critically hinges on whether or not you're going to enjoy this film if you like his style of filming. But to get us back on the characters, I think the only character that is really fleshed out is Ray Fiennes, is Monsieur Gustave. And yeah, that is a well-rounded, well-written character. But I wouldn't say anyone else is per se. I'd say if you look at the the DVD I recall for this, it was basically profiles of all the cast, like these big stellar names. Many of them are only in it for a couple of minutes, if that. You know, some of them are just in it for a few seconds. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say their characters are particularly fleshed out at all. And even Zero, who's probably your second main uh, protagonist after Gustav, you can't really pick out a personality point about Zero. There's not much to say about him. He just kind of does what he's told, which I suppose, you know... Um, uh, that's a good lobby boy. A lobby boy would, yeah, that's it. He <laughs> just does what he's told, but there's nothing to his character. There's nothing to his personality. You know very little about he's him. He's a shy refugee who's had to leave because his uh, father was executed during a war and his uh, and his mother was killed in an yeah, explosion. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, his but, you know, that's, that's his backstory. That's, that's his backstory. That's his personality. That, which, which he just tells to... Like, he says exactly those lines in a deadpan in voice. Deadpan, yeah. yeah. I think that's everything's in dead. Like that's very much the Wes Anderson vibe. Yes. It's that quirkiness. You know. It's that quirky yes. style that he brings to it. But but that's for me what breaks the film. The fact that these characters don't talk to each other, and I know people like that. But the fact that they talk to each other in this deadpan voice gets annoying after a while. And also, like he breaks the film because he does like using a big cast. And you got you know you've got really really. It's, it's lovely to see him. You're like oh Edward Norton. But actually, when you sort of think there's a really Is it good lovely to see Edward Norton. I love I love Edward Norton. I'm always <laughs> I think happy to see. Great. I think he's really good. And it's yeah, just yeah. that but, it's that, that detective, you know, head of a army. Yeah, section isn't he? I don't know okay. what his role is, but, but he's he's the chief of police or something. Yeah, but take that scene when he comes in. There's actually, I'd say, the most affecting point in the story, and it really did get me, is when the military police come in and you know the death squad comes on. They're about to take Zero and Mustafa yeah. out, and uh, you know you suddenly realise you know the um, Monsieur Gustave has a real feeling for him, and he turns around and he says, "Get your hands off my bellboy!" And yeah. Zero, for the first time in his life, sees that someone really cares about him, and it's a really good moment between the two characters, and it's ruined right by the arrival of Edward. Norton, because all of a sudden you're going, oh, it's Edward Norton in a moustache and, and a silly hat, and oh, this is all just a big Wes Anderson film. I, I'm sorry, I was just about to get invested in these characters. But I but, think that's oh. kind of the point, is you never meant to not, like, I think I said this about the last Wes Anderson film that we, we put on trial, is that you're meant to know it's a story. That's kind of the levity of it, so you get a very serious moment, a big character-building moment, and then you're taken back out, it's like, don't forget, guys, this is just a story that I'm telling. You know, and it's just a beautiful story. Nice. It's like reading a book, you know, you get involved and then somebody says, do you want a cup of tea or something? You know, it's that you you don't want to be too much in there. You get to enjoy it more. I'd, I'd argue like Alex's previous point before when he was talking about the direction, and it's very obvious. I don't think that that's, that's boring. That's, I don't think that's anything to criticize really, because when you think about like other directors with a very signature style, like Alfred Hitchcock, Christopher Nolan, Quentin Tarantino, they are very obvious. I mean, Alex is like panicking because I've mentioned two of his least yeah, yeah. favorite directors. Well, I, was, I was thinking of Terrence Malick. They've all got signature styles. So when you're watching one of their films, you're like, okay, this is definitely one of their films. So you don't get kind of carried away and say, oh yeah, well, you know, I can't enjoy this now. 
now or this this uh, i can't appreciate this because i know who's directed it and when you think about those names as well they worked with some stellar casts think about like tarantino's most recent one you know once upon a time in hollywood once again he's assembled a really stellar cast but at no point are you thinking like oh god here comes brad pitt with a wig and here comes i mean i absolutely am (laughs) this is you personally but i would rather have like these these characters you say like dave mentioned before some of them only appear fleetingly i would rather have these right incredible performers appear fleetingly in really small roles than just have just yeah, a like generic a, person like a, a known name who you're never going to remember at the end of it who's doing that bit part and just uh, just thrown away because you wouldn't understand you wouldn't remember what they did like bill murray's role but, you know he's in there for maybe 45 seconds should have mm-hmm. been done by an extra but the thing is uh, you know the the selling point for this film, like I said, the DVD cover is the profile, the various profiles of maybe 20 of the cast members. And I think the cinematic release poster really dwelled on how strong the supporting cast was. But is it not disappointing to market it in that way, to sell your supporting cast in this way and then only have them, like you say, for 45 seconds, maybe a minute, you know, Tilda Swinton's killed off within the first 10 minutes. It's oh, just... Yeah, but what a 10 minutes. Like, you understand <laughs> ultimate her, her role in that for the 10 minutes, totally plays out exactly who Ray Fine's character is from that and it sets up the rest of the story. So she's so good in that and her interaction with him just completely sets the scene for the rest of the film. That's like it just builds the character up. Exactly. And you know, Dave, you were saying that all these characters appear on the on the DVD or the you know the, the advertising materials or whatever. I I don't think it's it's bad though. I mean if the film wouldn't have been as good, then I might have been annoyed. Like my Bill Murray was only in it for like three minutes or whatever. But the story is so good and the way it's told is so beautiful that you don't really care that, you know, Tilda Swinton's only in it for ten minutes or Adrian Brody's only in it for fifteen minutes or whatever. You know, it's 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 the actual story itself which makes up for it all. Would you rather have Taylor Swinton in it for 10 minutes and die rather than have Taylor not in it at all? Uh, yeah, I would rather have Taylor's, Taylor, Taylor Swinton <laughs> in this film for 10 minutes than not have Rene at all. not have Taylor Swinton at all. Good point. Good point. Well made. Um, so, <laughs> is there kind of any than you in this film so where's anderson i think gets a bit of grief sometimes uh, from all of us a lot of the time for not really doing anything new and just doing the same thing again and again in, in each film basically is there anything new in this film that kind of sets it apart from the other films well i think gav's right in, in this the characters are better fleshed out than in all the others this is like i'd say this is the growth of of a director is that when you watch maybe like bottle rocket or one of the early films there's like hints of the good stuff that, that to come. And um, we talked about it in Bottle Rocket is that, you know, yeah, you can sort of tell it to Wes Anderson film and there's some promise there. And then you move on to the next films and the next and the next and the next. And he's trying different bits, trying to build out his style. And by the time you've got to Grand Budapest, this is like, I'd say a director at the absolute peak of his sort of like creativity. He's tried and tested all of these other bits. And this is like a combination of everything good about all of the other films put into this in terms of the beauty, the way the shots are put together, the way the story is told, the use of those bit part characters, you know, having Jeff Goldblum being the, uh, the executor of the will, you know, he just plays it absolutely brilliantly. Having Bill Murray as a, as a concierge, who's just, you know, another, another guy having all of these little nods to real life, uh, societies and, and things that you can relate to while it's still being this kind of, uh, like incredible, you know, sort of 
story when you're like, hey, that didn't happen. That's he's just managed to bring all of that together. What he's not managed to do is to write a scene where two characters are talking believably to each other. I don't think they. It, it, it's that thing. I think there's this bit of an Emperor's New Clothes thing about Wes Anderson. Is oh, the the characters talking deadpan because he's you know he's he's so good at writing that. And, and actually, no, I think it comes down to it. I don't think he can actually write moving, emotionally interesting dialogue between two characters. So he just does this deadpan thing. And and if 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 I wanted one thing of like Wes Anderson growing as a director. It would be for him to be able to get like zero Mustafa, especially the 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 younger zero, does not at any point emote in this film. Like at any point, I mean, he might have looked slightly surprised, but in his voice, it's just constantly that deadpan thing, and that just tires you at, by 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 the end of a film. I mean, is that necessarily a bad thing? You are sat next to Joel of all people, <laughs> Judge. Hey, uh, Judge, are you going to take that? What I was actually going to say. Some chocolate is getting rubbed into. <laughs> <laughs> right, what, what I was going to say is actually like, of all the previous films that I've seen with Wes Anderson uh, is, uh, sorry Wes Anderson has done I would probably agree with you but this this time around I actually felt something that scene where um, Ray Fiennes' character uh, Gustav has just broken out of the prison and he's he's met by Zero yeah. um, like so he's absolutely furious because Zero hasn't oh, bought are you some... kidding me that scene you're, wait, wait, you're yeah. wait, that wait, scene wait. that's a shave yes so so he's he's furious because Zero hasn't brought a change of clothes or some aftershave right and like all these little petty things that this character is known for he gets furious with him and he says like oh why did you even bother coming over to this nice country and working as a bellboy when you're not appreciated why didn't you just stay at home and it's what when Austin said before you know it when Zero says, well, you know, I came over because I'm, I'm a refugee. The fact is, is that he's, Zero's character is an introvert. He is quite quiet. He is mild-mannered. And, you know, we, we shouldn't be, like, um, criticising him for it. But he deadpan sort of delivers. Well, I wouldn't say deadpan. I'd just say, like, quietly delivers. Oh, well, you know, I came over because I'm a refugee. My father was killed. And Ray Fiennes then, like, kind of realises, oh, shit, I've been so wrapped up with my own, with my own sort That's of... That's exactly... That, that, that scene does not... It, you've described that scene incorrectly, in my it, opinion. No, like, that, 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 like, Ralph Fiennes, it's a joke. It's Ralph Fiennes going like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, how could you... De- de- that whole scene is so long. And I, you, I'm always waiting for the director yeah, but, to say cut yeah, but no, because that's the whole that point of that is that when you think about the character the character of ray fines is because he's, he's always talking he's always so when you see the bit earlier on when he's doing these little pep talks for his staff when they're all trying to get on with the day you know they've had a hard day at the hotel and they just want to go to sleep or they just want to eat and do whatever and he's trying to deliver this poetry or this sermon um it's that point that he's always talking so he's just broken out of a prison and then they waste the entire time talking to each other or being talked at while they could have got away and it could have been miles and miles away. They could have been in the bus while the, you know, the bus driver's getting beaten. So there's like a bit of a scene, but they're having this conversation about, Oh, did you bring the perfume? Did you bring some clothes? And he's saying, no, I forgot. I forgot. I forgot. And then by the time they get to the, the end, um, they've totally forgot why that he's even broken out of a, of a prison. Zero's about to tell him about his new girlfriend. And then the alarm goes for the prison and they're literally in the, you know, in the, the, the whole, uh, the, the yard of the prison so then they have to run off from there and it's it's a little bit of levity again from quite a serious moment 
so much levity when there's serious moments. There should be a few more serious moments and less... They need to let the serious moments lie a little bit, I think. So the, the overall kind of tone of the film, it's a little bit kind of difficult to tell what it is. Is it meant to be, like, funny or is it meant to be, like, a serious plot? Is it meant to be, you know, like a thriller? What type of film actually so is it? quite a light-hearted drama, if anything, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a light-hearted uh, drama with a little bit of... Um, Sorry, I'm just going to throw my phone at your cat. <laughs> <laughs> cat's, cat's <laughs> for cupcakes. No, no, get that wrapper off the floor. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> this cat is uh, incredibly greedy and will eat uh, anything. So uh, <laughs> might need to grab and feed up the best hotel, that cat. <laughs> <laughs> Where's Willem the phone when you need him? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> this window is open as The window well. is open. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was about the tone. Is it meant to be funny? It's, it's definitely lighthearted. It's, it's a, you know, it is a, it's along the line, the same as other Wes Anderson films. It's lighthearted. There are moments of seriousness, but they're never, like Alex says, they're never just dwell upon for too long. There's little bits where you can get involved with. Um, but overall, I'd say it's not a comedy film. It's not a, like, it's not witty one-liners. It's all done in the timing of Ray Fiennes. He's the key player in this and it's those um it, it's the way everything is delivered and it's just little little quips every now and then i think what we've stumbled across here is a problem the film has and that it's hard to categorize and a little too hard to categorize it's not that it it, it it spans categories or spans genres it's that it doesn't really fit into any particular place i see it as a black comedy i see it as very dark humor at the end mm-hmm. of the day and i see what you're saying about kind of being a, a thriller a dramatic a light-hearted thriller i see black comedy you know is it a murder yeah. sort of thing yeah. it's 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 hard what? to categorize and that's not not necessarily something that would play to its strengths yeah well but the, the, I, th- I don't know i'd say i'd, I'd put that on its head is that there are there are a lot of bits in there so yeah there is, it's a murder it's a, you don't know who's done the killing you go to have to go and find the one witness so there's the chase through the witness there's the breakout scene and the it's got all great moments from other you know genres in there yeah I'd, I'd, I'd sort of agree with what dave was saying but in a positive way it is sort of like a black comedy and use it has a tone use a tone yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like a black comedy <laughs> it's, it's like a black comedy but it has elements of you know like a murder mystery and it's quite light-hearted as well i, I think the like for once for me like Wes Anderson has got the tone absolutely spot on with this because in previous films you're watching it and you're like I don't know what the fuck this is supposed to be it's supposed to be a comedy a fantasy you know like what what is this but with this he never sort of deviates too far away from that sort of black comedy um root you know there's sort of like oh there's bit this tinges of you know there's, there's a couple of shocking scenes where um jeff goldblum's character uh, gets his fingers chopped off or when jeff goldblum's it all seems to happen to jeff goldblum jeff goldblum's <laughs> cat gets thrown out of a window they because the rest of the film is so light when those things happen you are quite shocked but the rest of it is sort of it's tied quite well together i think and and what joel was saying before about like originality one thing that i thought that was really great great about this film is like ray finds his character the way that he is written and the way that he's acted by ray finds himself is absolutely tremendous because he he sort of like is it's sort of taking the piss out of himself without knowing it you know he's sort of he's beloved by a lot of people but he's also he's a bit of an idiot 
And there's so many scenes where he's trying to deliver these eloquent speeches and he keeps on getting interrupted by something or he interrupts himself. And I think that's really funny, the fact that, you know, like people don't tend to listen to him. And there's yeah. an amazing scene right at the very end, Austin was talking about a chase where like Willem Dafoe's character is finally caught up to Gustav, you know, Ray Fiennes. And Ray Fiennes, uh, Gustav's hanging off of a cliff by his fingers <laughs> and Willem Dafoe's character, it just comes up and he starts stamping the ice around it, hoping, hoping that he's going to fall and Rayfine delivers this speech and it's absolutely amazing it's like if this be the end farewell dear Piper Boy and he starts going into this really beautiful poem and then out of nowhere Zero just pushes Willem Dafoe off the cliff yeah. and then and then Ray Fiennes is like shit <laughs> <laughs> shit you got him <laughs> you know just like he just constantly forgets yeah. what he's meant to be doing because of these, these soliloquies yeah and, and, and I love that because like, that for me is like a lot of character detail it's not just like kind of you, you carbon cut and copy from any previous Wes Anderson film like this guy's quirky he makes long eloquent speeches it's like no this guy's quirky but he's also a bit of a klutz but he's also well respected he's, he's well-rounded character right and uh, like the, the bit where he pushes him off a cliff is a good bit and there's lots of good bits but Wes Anderson never stops doing that there's never a bit where a character <laughs> gets never pushed off a cliff bits. <laughs> well no I mean, that's, that's one of the, the no. great things about the film no like what I mean is th- there's never a bit where like they just push the villain off and you're like oh, the villain's dead it's always it's always just a little joke on it it's always just a little bit of a oh it wasn't really a big thing it's always to be honest how I felt about it is the film just feels a little bit smug all the way through and it's a bit knowing and I'd say there is some very very good bits but because they keep doing those good bits again and again and again it's almost like the tricks run out and Wes Anderson doesn't have anything more in his bag he doesn't have anything deeper so you're saying about Miss Monsieur Gustave right at the end you know the older Zero Mustave is talking to Jude Law by the way who's in this film say no more on that but yeah he's he's only in it as like a a brief narrator (laughs) (laughs) he still gets more screen time than Bill Murray though (laughs) and uh, like he says uh, I think you know Zero Mustave sums up Monsieur Gustave and he goes I think his time was over before he even began and it's and you're just like oh right what does that mean and you know five minutes I was thinking you're just like it doesn't mean anything like this that, that whole no, character no, thing no, it completely does anything. because the, the the hotel is set in a time like when Southport was great in the 30s you know <laughs> and now if you go to Southport <laughs> you can see where it once would have been great you can walk down that boulevard and think wow that would have been beautiful hey, so, some of us summer, are from Southport some of us are still yeah. from Southport yeah no like so you can walk down that main stretch and think yeah that would have been absolutely amazing and that's what that hotel was in that time so when Zero was becoming the proprietor of the hotel that's when he would have absolutely shone so you're saying Grand Budapest Hotel could have been the Royal Clifton at one point? <laughs> completely, completely. Yes. It could have been the Prince of Wales. But, but like, it, he I've was, heard enough. Yeah. He yeah. was always <laughs> like, he was always losing. Like he was always fighting a losing battle. Essentially, you know, the hotel was on its way out, or it was appreciating anyway. You had the beginning of the war, you know, and you had this guy who like he was he was unafraid to speak his mind, and he was he was kind of. Well, you say not, not pig-headed, but he didn't want to change his character. So right at the very beginning, you mentioned a scene where Ed Norton appears on the train. And that's quite a nice scene where, you know, the, the police come in and say, show me your papers. He stands up for Zero's character and then he gets uh, roughed up a little bit. And later on in the film, you think that he would have learned from his lessons or you would think that he would have tried to, a different tactic. But the police once again come onto the train. This is like right at the very end. We found out it actually leads to his death. And um, the police try to arrest Zero again. And once again, he defends Zero 
Zero in the exact same like kind of brash, you know, um, way. He's he's not afraid to stand up for his friends. So he hasn't really learned anything. So you know, he, he he's grown so much as a character. But when it comes to like wearing his heart on his sleeve, he hasn't really learned anything. So that when he was saying, "Oh, he was his time was already up," it was because he was always unwilling to make those changes. Yeah. Okay, I think I've got pretty much everything I need. Is there anything anybody else wants to quickly add? Like that as a no. The soundtrack's incredibly good as well. Yeah, it's actually really good. You um, you, you get, and it's not the same as what you might get in, in other Wes Anderson's, where you recognise some of these, um, you know, classic tunes that he's, you know, or maybe like a a French go-go type tune. This is, I think, it's an original score set just for this. And it's absolutely brilliant. So is it just orchestra music or is it actual... A lot of it's sort of like harpsichordy, and yeah. um, but it's just played so well. The soundscape and the way things move in and out. Um, like you can actually listen to this film without watching it and enjoy it. So the, f- the visuals are absolutely fantastic, but the, the sound itself and the, because it's a lot of dialogue, you can listen to it and understand what's going on and get a completely different film and the... the, the the music in the background is absolutely awesome. I feel the same about Hobbs and Shaw, man. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I'd agree. Okay, I think Alex has got a delightful quiz for us. I do, I do this, have a quiz. Has this one got a name? Quez Anderson. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's almost as though you used the same title as Joel's, but just added Anderson. Anderson at the end. <laughs> hey, that's, that's exactly what I did. Uh, okay, so in this quiz, I'm going to start off by giving you three characters, and the first part is you're going to have to tell me what film they are from, okay? And then I'll have a little trivia question for so, you uh, afterwards. I, these are all Wes Anderson characters? All Wes Anderson characters. I so you've got to tell fucked. me the film, okay? Uh, first one is Eli Cash, Rally St. Clair, oh. Henry Sherman. Um, is it the Royal Tenenbaums? It is the Royal Tenenbaums. Well done, Gav. Your bonus question is... Okay, no. <laughs> how many... <laughs> I how, don't want a bonus question. <laughs> how many... Fe- they're, they're quite easy. Uh, okay. How many feature films has Wes Anderson made? Eight. Oh, nine. It is nine. Oh, shit. But then I do have a quiz right next to Joel, so I'm guessing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, next one, number two. This should be quite easy. Um, Duke... Boss, dogs. Yeah, you go. Okay. Um, wow. <laughs> well done, Dave. Adjusted for inflation, what is the highest-grossing Wes Anderson film of all time? Um, Ooh, Life Aquatic, Darjeeling Limited. Anyone else? Grand Budapest. Anyone else? I love dogs. Oh wait, Fantastic uh, Mr. Fox. Yeah, I'd go with that. Shockingly, you're all wrong. It's Royal Tenenbaums again. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, it's, uh, to be honest, I quite like Royal Tenenbaums. But anyway. Uh, number three, Mr. Bishop, Scoutmaster Ward. Uh, uh, Kingdom. Kingdom. Okay, I'm going to give this to Dave first. Um, who was not involved in Moonrise Kingdom for the first time for Wes Anderson? He'd been involved in every single other film until Moonrise Kingdom, but was not in this one. Uh, Luke Wilson. Oh, close. Owen Wilson. <laughs> it was Owen Wilson. <laughs> well done, well done, well done. That's probably the first time anyone has ever thought of Luke before. <laughs> <laughs> no, we watched Charlie's Angels the other week. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Even their parents have probably always thought of Owen before they thought of Luke. Oh, <laughs> if you listen to oh, Andrew. And Luke's older. <laughs> yeah, normally, children, normally parents call their children out alphabetically, I think. <laughs> no, I, I think their parents refer to him as black hair. Owen. <laughs> <laughs> Straight nose, Owen. <laughs> okay, okay. That's enough. Okay. The other one. 
I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> what does Andrew Wills? Anyway. Uh, number four, uh, Francis Peter Jack. Gone by process of elimination, you should be able to... Bottle rocket. On this one. Nope. Well, wow, Francis... Life Francis, Aquatic. Peter and Jack. Life no. Aquatic? Fantastic Mr. Fox. No. Um, uh, another one? Did he stay? Rushmore? 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 No. The one that we haven't mentioned? No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Darjeeling lim- uh, oh, un- uh, Limited. Oh, yeah. Unlimited. So, uh, which big film... So, those are the three main characters are called mm-hmm. Francis, Peter and Jack. Can you tell me which big film names they are named after? Francis, Peter, and Jack. Mm. You mean what film actors are they named after? No, no, just big big names in film, generally, they were named after. Francis, Francis Ford Coppola. That's yeah. the one. Jack Nicholson. Nicholson is right. And Peter, this is a tricky one. Bonda? No. Jackson? No. Bog- Bogdanovich. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think you'd get that one, course, if I'm honest. Yeah. That was right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> okay, uh, number five, Dr. Nelson Guggenheim, Dirk Calloway, or Herman Bloom? Oh. Life Aquatic? No. Moonrise um, Kingdom? Oh, Rushmore? It is Rushmore. Well done, Gav. <laughs> <laughs> um, Disney, in the filming of this, denied a $75,000 helicopter scene. Which mainstay friend of Wes Anderson stepped in to give a check for it? Oh. <laughs> Blackhead Owen Wilson? <laughs> Wrong. Um, Bill Murray. It was Bill Murray. Well okay, done. Cool. And the very last one, Dignan, Doctor Nichols, Bottle Bob Mapplethorpe. Life yes. Aquatic. Yeah. It, is bo- it is Bottle Rocket. Uh, which actor has the most appearances in Wes Anderson's films? Uh, not Blackhead. <laughs> actual home. It is not actual. No, is it Bill Murray? It is Bill Murray. Well done. Oh. Nice. I'm going to give that to Ozzy because I did not keep score and I like him. Yeah. <laughs> about, I think it was Gav. I've uh, no, no, no. given it to you. What about you. Wes Anderson? Doesn't he appear in all of his films? He has like little cameos, doesn't he? Does that not count? Should have done a question. It's like a good version, <laughs> like a good version of Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Thanks anyway, uh, Alex. You're welcome. They both started around the same time, didn't they? Yeah, probably did. Actually, and I yeah. think uh, it, it was kind of like, uh, or they both. It was when that one where he burned people. What's that Tarantino one where he burns the guy in the garage? Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, yeah. So that was when Bottle Rocket came out. And that was you should like write a... the back of DVDs. <laughs> <laughs> this film came out when that guy was being burned in the garage. <laughs> a typical Tarantino style, he doesn't actually burn him. Because yeah. that would have been too big a budget, he gets shot before he oh, burns right, him. Okay. But yeah, it was, like a, it was to come out as like a contrast to that style of filmmaking. They are very different. But yeah, very, very different. So yeah, there we go. Whimsy and hardcore violence. Yep. Okay, so quite often when I judge films, I decide... What helps me decide, sorry, is if I want to watch the film. Sometimes I want to watch it in a bad way, just to see how shit it is, but sometimes I'm just more interested to see how it is. And I think this film kind of falls under that category. It sounds like it's a really... I don't know, like kind of beautiful watch almost. And it sounds as though, although the kind of Wes Anderson trademark is definitely there, like it's more, uh, he's kind of more, you know, refined his craft, if you like, by this point, And it's less self-indulgent in a way because of that. So, you know, although Alex and Dave definitely brought up some good points and this is probably not marketed at me, uh, you know, I think... I, does probably deserve a shot on the on the hit list, and I'm kind of quite looking forward to to watching it. Strangely, good. Oh, well done. Uh, so uh, genuine opinions. I think we all know what your Austin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Mine is, I actually enjoyed it as well. I mean, I hate Wes Anderson usually, but I really enjoyed this film uh, when I first watched it a few years ago. I watched it again recently for this podcast. I didn't enjoy it as much. I can see some of the points that Alex and Dave were making, but I still thought it was a hell of a lot better than a lot of his films. And and it is an enjoyable film, really. Well, for me, anyway. Alex? Um, I, I would say I did enjoy the film, but I would, I, I kind of was honest. Uh, I think the first half of it is very good. And it just doesn't sustain it for the second. So I, I probably would have put it on a shit list myself. I think this is actually probably one of the hardest prosecutions I've had to do. I love Grand Budapest <laughs> Hotel. I love everything about it. I love the cinematography. I love the score. I love the performances. I love the cast. Yeah. This is a great film. It's one of my... It, it probably is my favourite Wes Anderson film. Yeah. It's, it's right up there. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Tiny bit of trivia, you know, that bit where uh, Harvey Keitel uh, slaps Zero. Oh, yeah. He did that 42 times. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> because Bill Murray didn't think it was uh, good enough. He wasn't what? even in the scene. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but, but apparently, after every time Harvey Keitel slapped uh, uh, Zero, he got to slap him back. So, like, so oh, right. just, <laughs> I think it was just Bill Murray getting him to play slaps. <laughs> so, Sounds yeah. like something he'd do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard that Angela Lansbury was originally cast as Madame D as well, but she oh, had to right, drop okay. out. Um, oh. Also, I read somewhere that, uh, unlike any other film, so when you see a newspaper in a film, it's usually just like the, the headline, and then it's just a load of guff, just standard text that doesn't yeah, really yeah. make any sense. Well, for this, like Wes Anderson wrote actual newspapers, yeah, like so yeah. each article corresponds to the headline. Started doing that at Bottle Rocket, didn't he? So those diaries were all full, and those pages in the diaries all had proper character ah. arcs and uh, all the way from Bottle Rocket. <laughs> Why? Much. So. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Uh, and added layers. To fill in the characters, I suppose. I also read somewhere that Ray Fiennes based his voice for Gustav <laughs> on English actor and comic um, Leonard Rossiter. Which is yeah. pretty funny because well, if, you've ever, see, well. if you've ever seen if you've ever seen the Peter Serafinovich show, he does a piss take of Ray Fiennes where he says he sounds exactly like Leonard Rossiter. <laughs> <laughs> it's come full circle. Um, so higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was Hobbs and Shaw. Ooh. Now on Rotten Tomatoes, it had sixty six critical and ninety percent audience <sighs> rating. I mean, I reckon, it'd be higher than both. Yeah, I reckon critical's out of the park. On this one, I reckon it's yeah. Critics higher. definitely higher, but yeah. I wonder. I'm going to say higher on both because I maybe I love not it, audience but though. Maybe not. Ninety's really high. Uh, Steve, yeah. I'd probably go with uh, everyone else. I reckon critical it'll be quite high, and then maybe about eighty-five. Oh, yeah, so just below. I'm just saying below. higher and higher. Right. Well, uh, it smashed critical ofs at ninety-one yeah. percent. Yeah. Audience score. Steve was very close. As and beat Hobson Shaw, only 86%. Oh, is that it? Pathetic. So, once again, I put a poll up on Twitter over the weekend, asked our friends and followers which list Grand Budapest Hotel should be placed on. 81% of them said that it should be placed on the hit list. So, well done, Joel. And uh, before we adjourn the case, it's time for a little caption contest. So, what I do here is I take a screenshot of the film and I put it on Twitter, asking for our friends and followers to provide a funny caption with the best one winning a frog shaped chocolatey treat it was a cat chasing after the frog um, so the caption this time round is zero looking into the mirror and drawing on his pencil mustache so you guys just got to pick which is the funniest out of the following tattooed mustache sorry tattooed mustaches new york fucking hell <laughs> can't read today tattooed mustaches new youth fad 
Um, when your cat filter app refuses to work, <laughs> why draw? Why why draw one on? I think he's talking about mustache. Why draw mustache on Tony Rivolio when he has two serviceable mustaches currently functioning as eyebrows? Mm. Um, a bit, a bit, bit mean. mean. Bit mean. Maybe. That's a child you're talking about there. <laughs> um, when Flash becomes fresh because uh, he plays Flash in the. Um, Spider-Man films. Well, if you have to explain it. Well, yeah. I think I've got to explain the last Okay, next one. It puts the lotion on the skin or else it gets the hose again. Um, I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me so hard. <laughs> uh, that John Waters lookalike contest is in the bag this year. I know it. And uh, last one is, I said, God damn. I said, God damn. <laughs> Hope fiction. Uh, I'm going to go with the low-hanging fruit of I'd yeah. fuck me, I'd fuck me. Yeah. You know what? I hate, that. I hate to go for crass, but I've got to agree. Likewise, you got the biggest laugh out of me. Yeah. But yeah. to be honest, it's, um, it's, it's from a good podcast and friends, uh, Ryan L. Terry. So congratulations. And I will say that it is in quotation marks. It's probably from a film that none of us have picked up. So uh, <laughs> well, it's from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, Buffalo Bill. I'd, I'd fuck me. I'd fuck me. All right. Yeah. Oh. yeah good impression as well, Steve. Well done, Steve. Well done. Okay. Well, that's you Bane. <laughs> You've gone into Bane for that. <laughs> to be honest, it goes between Bane and, and Buffalo Bill. Quite right. <laughs> Buffalo Bane. 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 Congratulations to Ryan. You've just won yourself off Liberty Freddo. Right, okay, so before we call it a day, just wanted to give a shout out to one of our friends and fellow podcasters, Bank Average Movie Podcast. Uh, so uh, we've given a shout out to these guys before. They're a really great, uh, they're a really great show. Uh, two guys, Nate and Tyler, just talking about films, to be honest. And they do really great reviews. They're very concise, very funny, uh, very entertaining. And the reason I'm putting you guys onto them is because at the moment they're doing a Guilty Pleasures Month where they're talking about some of their favorite shit films. So they're talking about the Star Wars prequels I think <laughs> in their entirety. Uh, also, they've spoken about Shaolin soccer as well. So whatever your thoughts are about that, they aren't bothered. <laughs> they, they think it's great. And also, uh, myself and Alex here recently appeared on their show to talk about Alex's favourite guilty pleasure, Charlie's Angels. I'd still say it's not guilty. It's just full-on full on <laughs> full on pleasure. Full-on full on, full on, full on 100% pleasure. It is pleasure. a full-on pleasure. They did make me want to watch Shaolin Soccer like quite badly as well. Shaolin though, so. Soccer? Shaolin I Soccer. I assume this is a film about Shaolin monks learning how to play football. I think, exactly right. I think you'd be correct, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm in. I'm all in. I'm in. I'm in. I would be concerned if it was anything else. <laughs> have you got it on your DVDs? No, I don't actually. I don't. I did used to have Kung Fu Hustle as well, but you know, I somehow that... threw that out, but kept Dunstan checks. It <laughs> sounds, Kung Fu sounds like we know what your birthday present is. So. <laughs> is Kung Fu Hustle? Kung Fu fighters learning how to swindle people. Oh, no, no, no. So close. You're on a winning streak there, Austin, yeah. but no, it's just them beating each other up. Oh, okay. It's great. With axes but and stuff. It's, yeah, it's the same director as Shaolin Soccer as well. So, oh. yeah. Anyway, right, we're getting off topic. Give these guys a listen. They're very funny and we'll be appearing on their show imminently. So do stay tuned for that. You can follow them on Twitter, BA Podcast. You can catch them on any 
podcast platform, Bang Average Podcast. Uh, so I will say that next week's film has been picked out of the hat at random, and it is going to be... Dunstan checks in. <laughs> no, it is not. No. I am not buying Dunstan checks in. It's a suggestion from one of our followers, uh, Hippie McGee, and they have suggested the classic rom-com Fifty Shades. <laughs> say it again. Sorry, sorry. I misread that. Rom-com. Rom-com. Fifty Shades of Grey. Freudian uh, slip. Maybe, yeah. maybe you were right first time around. <laughs> Freudian slip. There's a lot of that that goes on in it as well. Um, <laughs> now, in defense, the roles all, have been picked out of the hat at random. So in defense, it's going to oh, oh, be me and Joel. Uh, and, <laughs> I mean, the, probably the two people. I, I'm going to message him right now. Love it the most, yeah. And uh, in prosecution, it's going to be Dave and Ozzy, which means the judge is going to be Brucey, probably the only one of us who's actually seen or read it before. Uh, I mean, I've read it, so I'm not going <laughs> to get too defensive on that one. But. On holiday as well, weren't you? Uh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, we're lying by the pool. You're lying by the pool with a copy of Fifty Shades of Grey. Massive erection. Massive erection and a nice mojito as well. So. Can we go, can we go one episode time. where we don't talk about erections? Um, is I think not next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everybody who's listened to this episode. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends and your family about us. Write it down in a secret message and hide it behind a priceless painting. Just spread the warm love that is Films on Trial in as many years as possible. Remember, follow us on all social media, especially Twitter, at Film Trials. And check out our fantastic graphic artist, Winston Sang, at the underscore quakes. Check us out on our website, filmsontrial.co.uk, and all other social media so that is it grand budapest hotel is a hit and we will definitely be in your ears like christian gray next week <laughs> <laughs> 50 shades of gray goodbye Bye.